Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura Killer. Uh, we'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Um, tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Dane and Nikki West from DW Rural. Dane and Nikki will be picking who they believe has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo mate. How are you? Good mate. Good thanks. Better than Daniel, I can imagine, because he just I forgot to put his uh, laptop on charge and it has about five percent battery. Nice. <laughs> Sarah, I'm all over it. I thought we were going to be the ones that would do something like that. No, no, only Daniel. Hey, you've got to keep everyone on their toes, right? There we go, cooking with gas now. Talking about gas, you guys had a pretty warm day. Yeah, mate. Yeah, only had a short little one, but it was smack in the middle of the day when we got there and got set up and. Knocked him over. Nikki sent a couple of Snapchats out after having a swim to cool off. Oh, but, uh, a little one on your back while you're doing that. Yeah, it's pretty hot today. <laughs> trying to pay it off a sweat, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, that's cool. Guys, Um, you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves, well, what you do, where you're from, how you got into it? Yeah, mate. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm fifth generation shearing uh, off the farm just north of Dubbo here. We're based. Uh, about five k's from Dubbo now on a little acreage and uh, got into dogs myself through being on the farm and young fella had my first dog at about five years of age and went through and always strived I guess I love my, my stock my brother was more the the um, farmer and my father he loves plowing up that dirt so I was the one that was chasing the sheep around and I know I always strived that the old grandfather he had the um, collie dog with the leg up in the collar and telling it to go back off the back of the ute and get up at the same time. And I always thought there's something better. So that's what drove me to it. Um, started shearing. I was the only one out of all the cousins to shear. So I don't know if I uh, lacked a little bit in the IQ section or something, but um, <laughs> I went. been fortunate enough to travel the world doing the shearing. That's um, seen a lot of guys with dogs that I think my first uh, real experience when I was in my early 20s and going over to Scotland and I saw these guys with the dogs up on the hill and whistling and stuff. I was like, wow, like, I'd love to do that stuff. Still still getting there for that level. But, um, yeah, no, just absolutely love, like, playing with the dogs. Like, um, And then the, the shearing side of things. We, eight years ago, started up the contracting with the shearing contracting and then just under three years now we've been doing the dipping as well with the landmarking jetting bit of labour hire and that sort of thing as well to, to just yep. really bring it all in. And what are you, how old were you when you got into shearing? Shearing, never had an interest at all when shearing rocked up until I was about 17 and nine months and I just become the school captain and there was a shearing school, Christian school, walked in and said to the principal, I think I might go and do this shearing school. He, said, he, asked <laughs> me, he sat me down and he said, is this going to be a good life decision, young man? <laughs> And I went away and done it anyway, and here I am. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and ever since I look back, I thought about doing it just for a year or two and then going to university, but um, it's been good to me. I've met a lot of great people, a lot of like-minded people, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, pretty tough at the moment, I will admit, in the current landscape that we're dealing with the shearers and, and the shortage of shearers and shed staff. Um, but, yeah, no, we, we still enjoy the challenge. And it ties in really well with what we're doing at the moment. We've got quarters here for the staff on the place. Um, 
it's like a little oasis for them. They're out in the bush and then they're only five Ks and they're back in town to get what they need. So it works really well. Yeah, and then actually we'll touch a bit more yeah. on that in a second. Nikki, tell us. Well, you definitely batting Merrins here, Dane. So, Nikki, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I'm originally from Penrith, so I um, and I've got family out in Wellington that I used to go and visit sort of every school holidays. Mum and Dad used to ship us to the farm, so I was really fortunate. We got the best of both worlds. We got to live pretty much in the city, and then you know every ten weeks we were on the farm, and and, and that was it. And then the school. Christmas holidays, we were there for the six weeks as well. And but my uncle had a lot of cattle and goats. He did have sheep, but he um, yeah went straight into cattle and goats. So I, um, I how I got out this way to Dubbo was uh, through my uncle, where I had cattle and wanted to move out there rather than being in the city and wanted a bit of space. So I've always sort of had dogs. I've always done a lot of obedience um, training with dogs and things like that and I used to love watching you know my uncle work his dogs and things like that so that was somewhere I always said I wanted to be and wanted to do and then ended up moving out here a bit quicker when I met this one here and um yeah and then sort of it just kind of spiraled from there really like I well I'm actually a florist by trade and also a primary school teacher so yeah yeah a bit of a flip on its head and I um yeah, then I just started going out. I'd never been in shearing sheds and things like that. And then I started seeing, you know, working stock and Dane had a few dogs as well. And then I met a few people that had working dogs and I just loved, that was it. I was in, I was hooked. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so then um, I sort of left, you know, teaching floristry at TAFE and things like that and started really delving right into the business. And, you know, then we bought um, bought the dipping and jetting and, that side of the business and started getting a few dogs and I started working a few older dogs and yeah, the addiction, it's real. <laughs> Definitely. So how did, how did you two guys meet? I was buying a house. I brought a, brought a half a million dollar house. that was uh, double the value of the house I was currently living in for the shearers quarters at the time and um, walked through the door and there she was. <laughs> so I'd come up from um, Sydney to work with my uncle on the farm and they had a mutual friend and I went up to help him tidy up this house that he'd sold and sure enough, Mr. Dane had walked in and, yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the end of it. I, I saw her and that was, um, yeah, where it went and I think it was around these. Bought a house and came with a girl. That's yeah, the one, pretty yeah. Much, yeah. Mind you, he sat there and watched us work and tidy it up. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah, and then we sort of met again down at the um, Sydney Royal Easter show. I'd taken my uncle there and um, Dane, did, like he was doing their shearing demos and things like that. And and then we sort of met there and, yeah, just up I went and moved to Dubbo from Penrith. Crazy. That's cool, mm. just five hours yeah. trip up the road. <laughs> yeah. And Dane, just talking about you touched on shearing again there, Nikki. You mentioned earlier, Dane, that shearing's taking you right around the world. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, mate. Um, again, I just striving to be better. I had the opportunity when I was 19, a couple of mates said, why don't we go to Queenstown and do a bit of skiing? I thought, well, that's the best shearers in the world over there. Like, I, I hate to admit it, but it is what it is, right? And I went over there and I spent six months over there till the end of the year and actually went back the following year and learned so much. And I've done about four or five trips over to New Zealand now, uh, the UK, like I said. We, I went on a short trip with a couple of mates up into Canada and down into um, into America doing the Calgary Stampede 
like just experiencing those sheep just more in a show competition side of things. That was pretty cool. Um, just until recently, I was eight years as the chair for New South Wales Sports Year, uh, being affiliated and, and a part of that for a couple of decades now and, and really love, really passionate about the sports shearing scene. Um, you'll see us at Oberon in a couple of weeks for the speed shear over there where they've got a, a massive um, amount of prize pool there for the speed shear and do all the commentary for that. Believe probably it or not, we probably hear years before we see years, right? Mm. Yeah. And, mate, yeah, just, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, um, it is what you make of it, right, like anything. But um, through that network on the, the sports shear side of things and learning about quality and putting quality and speed together, uh, taking that back out into the workplace and then trying to strive to be better, it's, um, it's a pretty cool environment to be in. Yeah. And hard doing, Joe. Like you mentioned earlier, um, where shearing is at the moment and hard to get people. Mm. I mean, that's because it's such a labour-intensive job. Mate, it's just the perfect storm. It's the perfect storm. We've had um, we've had a, one of the worst droughts in three-year in three consecutive drought from 17 to 19. Um, we lost the older generation, then we lost the younger generation. I know a contractor that was 40 years in the game said to me, I think we've got to forget about the younger generation and focus on what we got. Well, we just that created a big big gap and then we've had an explosion of sheep when the drought broke from WA come over. Um, we've had COVID where we couldn't get anyone to go through any state, let alone from over the country. So the perfect storm just happened, mate, and we were still recovering. So it's going to take another year or two for it to really stabilise and we'll probably be in another drought and all the sheep will be gone, so it won't matter. But <laughs> like the way, the way I see it, yeah, it'll be a couple of years. And how, how do you go... How do you think we go about finding shearers? Mate, do we, we, have, just, to, do we have to create them? Like, where where do you think it's? We've done? had some success with um, coming from the coast. I, I know a lot of other contractors, much bigger than us, have had success with the school system. So going and talking to career mm -hmm. advisors, and we've had a, a couple of good results there, getting the more tactile students out. That um, probably this is where they need to be. Uh, until they find themselves at the very least and it's a great job for them to burn a bit of energy so pulling them out of those school systems um down there in sydney we've got a couple of guys that one of our learners he's going really well and his wife they've just um had a little bub there last week but yeah, 12 months ago they yeah they come up from over there and yeah going really well so i think we just got to keep getting the word out there that it is a great industry some of the workplaces need to come into the 21st century mm -hmm. um but uh, yeah, we're in the we've got a real opportunity at the moment. We're we're playing things just a little bit different ourselves. We're, we're looking to roll out a bonus incentive type um, system, where our staff can be paid bonuses and reward them for the right behaviour and, and, and alleviating pain points from our clients. Um, so it's a premium. It comes with a yep. premium price tag, but we're already seeing great results. So. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And our business people... is, is really built on our staff and, yeah, they're such a big part of it. So rewarding, yeah, good behaviour and offering a quality service is sort of where, we're, where our goal is to really be there, yeah. And, Nikki, earlier you mentioned about um, the dipping and um, crutching business um, and you've been it for a few years. How did that come about? With the dipping side of things? Well, actually, Dane had... Um, 
How did you find out about the dipping side of things? Mate, I was, um, I was driving home and down at the golf course here and I'd heard a lot about Jamie Barclay and um, I saw him pull up on the side of the road. We were in the middle of the drought at the end of 19 and I'm thinking, well, how can I get more work from my staff? And it's always about um, cross-integration, right? And I went and met him, introduced who I was, spoke a bit about things and said, mate, like, love to sort of work in with you if any of your clients need a shearing team. And he just mentioned that he might be selling his landmarking run, which had a lot of southern work in it. Well, that really was attractive and we spoke about that in the new year. We agreed on terms on that. And then I said, if you ever want to sell the rest, you know, it'll be three years before I look at doing that, he said. A month later, he had a heap of sheep in a feed lot and he rang me up. He said, on Australia Day, you want to buy the rest? Said, yep, no, thanks, mate, we'll do that. Yeah. So I just all went from there and then COVID hit and it took us a bit longer to get um, get things squared away. I think it was later that year. But, yeah, that, that's literally how it happened, just that stopping and introducing yourself. Simple yeah. on the side of the road. Which, mind you, was a big, um, sort of a big decision to make, really, like when we're in the peak of a drought and we didn't know the drought was going to end, you know, and what's sort of going to happen and we just took that leap of faith and off we went and never looked back. Yeah, it's worked out well for you. Yeah. Um, I just lost what question I was going to ask then, sorry. You're all right. <laughs> um, Do you want to go one of those ones? Yeah. Um, there's a question here from Matt Cummings. He's asked, um, you've only been dipping for just under three years. Who's been some of the biggest influences when working with your dogs on the dip? We actually talked about this today because well, we're actually talking to Daniel Pumper the other day about what, you know, dogs and oh, things. Sorry, like. sorry about that. And he <laughs> um and he he sort of said, you know, you guys are really lucky, which we're very fortunate because we travel pretty much all of New South Wales and we do a few jobs in South Australia. We have the opportunity to meet so many different people and Dane and I are really open-minded people and we're, you know, your cup's always half full. You can always learn more and you can always, you know, pick things from different people. So there's, there's so many people we've met along the way and, and so many people helping and just offering advice or, yeah, heaps. Who would you say? Yeah, I mean, the trialling world's been pretty cool. There's been a lot mm. there, Maddie Sherwood and Benny Costa um, doing their landmarking and dipping and things. You're always learning little bits and bobs when you're going back there each year. Um, there's uh, we were with Michael Johnson there just before Christmas. That was so cool. Like he he spent half a day with the mm. staff and just really, really gave his time to um, work with a couple of our girls that we had there on just pressure and release, uh, not even using their dogs, but then being able to bring the dog into that as well. Um, I know George Pickles. He's been a real mentor to us just more of recent times. Like he's. He's just selling a business over in South Australia and coming back to spend a bit more time with us. And we're really fortunate to have a guy with his knowledge. He's had three or four businesses in his career and as a stockman. And um, some of the things that he talks to us about, we, we've done some professional development with our staff and um, we're very big on trying to get anywhere from three to five different courses. So last year, lean management was one of the things we did um, where we brought a uh, business coaching and spend a day with the staff on what lean's about and it's about simplicity of systems and and having everything structured so it's clear and documented for the staff well george come in not the week after was the first mm. time he worked with us and he's talking about mcdonald's and how 15 year olds can run mcdonald's and i was just like 
Yeah. Like, business coach, I could have had you. It was um, it was just right up our alley, and, and it's just cool to have somebody like that in your corner, like just yeah, working away. And he holds us accountable. That first that that first mm. week, I was I had the flu, <laughs> I was sweating, I didn't want to be there. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong, and George is just driving it into me. <laughs> I've got to take it. It's like what I learned last week. I don't want to be here, but this I'm learning. And, yeah. uh, and ever since that, like, he's also shown us a bit of empathy. So he's probably been one of the keys, I reckon, like, to be totally honest. Like, he's he's had a pretty big impact on us. And, um, yeah, no, it's been, it's, but it's like Nikki said there at the start of that question. So many. So many people. Like, and, and just um, the, the general grazier that you'll, you'll meet and they'll just say that one little thing and mm. it just it hits the point, like, with a dog or um, I've had, I've had a, a, a truck driver from Forbes that, spoke to me right when we started about having a variety of dogs and having his softer dogs that he brings out first and, and and earn the trust of the client and then he might bring those harder dogs out when it's a bit hotter and things like that really resonated and, and have been put us in good stead mm. as the business has developed and as people get to know us in the transition and now as we're establishing what we do. Yeah. And saying not only just the client side of things and but also the staff. So we've had some, like with the dipping side of things and the jetting, we've been really fortunate to have um, some really good stockmen. And I'm usually down the bottom pushing up, so they're the ones that I'm, you know, soaking up all the knowledge I can. We had um, Carl. Like, yeah, yeah, Jackie Nolan. Yeah, yeah Jack Nolan did a um, season with us on the dip and he didn't really need me down there at all. Um, <laughs> he could do it all himself. And then we had, you know, Kane Flanagan. He's a brilliant stockman and he's got a lot of passion and time. I've learned a lot from mm. him, so much from him. Even after a massive day of dipping, he'll still managed to come down the back training yards with me and show me something. Um, so I'm really grateful for him. Carly O'Leary, she's another one that's worked a fair bit with us and she, um, yeah, beautiful stockman and got beautiful dogs and just has a really nice training, you know, techniques that she uses and, so we've had so many stockmen and we've had like jobs that we go to. We have people in the area, you know, that trial that have come and worked in with us as well to show us a few things and give their dogs a crack on the dip. And, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We have some tough days, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and you've mentioned that you touched on it, like um, George and Michael giving feedback and you actually mentioned the, the business coach there. There's actually another question here from Matt. I can't read it, Laurie. He's, <laughs> he's asking, you virtually answered it anyway, um, about, you know, do you think you could gain benefits by investing in formal training for your staff to handle stock with dogs, e.g. schools and workshops? But I think you've well and truly answered it. And, yeah, in yeah. saying that, who um, is there any that you've, you know, really seen? Because I know you've done a few of them um, that mm. you've seen your staff just soak in the information and change after that school. Yeah, Michael was it wasn't a school. It was just an opportunity because we were there dip yep. getting. But um, Jakey Nowlin, when he came mm. and done the one up here, like there was some staff that really resonated. They weren't actually staff at the time, and there was a couple of clients that we had come along and had changed their way of thinking. Mm. Um, I uh, who, who was the other one that we had? We did a. Um... By, I don't know how, coincidence, we went to the Geary um, Golden Collar and we'd met a fella that was there visiting his partner and he was from Canada. That's and nice. he is from Blackheart Canine. So yep. they do all bomb squad dogs, like all the army dogs over there in Canada. And he um, came and did 
a two-day workshop with us and then a few weeks later we all had to come back and show what we did and and it's amazing how their training techniques are, you know, are used all over the world and it doesn't matter sort of what um, what work your dog's in but it's how to communicate with your dog. So we had him with our staff and he was phenomenal. They're uh, a little bit different in the sense of that, you know, it's very black and white how they train and then we had... Um, Another really good friend of ours from Sydney, Demetrius, from um, Optimal Canine Training. So he's in uh, protection dogs and he come and did. Um, he's done twice now. Yeah, twice we've had him. He did like a full day of just theory. So on your training techniques and um, we had a fair few staff, didn't we? And then we did sort of a follow-up school and then we're actually just in the process of organising another follow-up, you know, because there's a lot to take in. And you just do it in a in a day, but yeah, we've done a heap of schools, and the staff have just absolutely run with it. They've really enjoyed it. So we try and balance, I suppose, with both not only understanding how to train a dog and communicate with the dog, but then having you know people like Michael on the job helping teach the stock side. How um like obviously you mentioned um back when you were younger doing a lot of obedience, and then these two couple of gentlemen you've met now doing stuff. How do you find then you have people like Michael who are fantastic stockmen, that balance of, well, and I'll comment on it because I know a little bit about both worlds, <laughs> where letting go of that control where those dog trainers don't like letting go of that control. How it's really interesting actually because we had um, Dimmy come out and, you know, when, when they give their dog a command, that dog has to sit in that command. There's, they don't actually, you know what they like, they don't teach a stay. They have to stay in that command until they give a release command, right? So whereas, like, we sort of have to let them do their natural. Like, you, I don't want a robot dog that sits there and just looks at me every five seconds for what am I doing next? Like, I don't have time for that. So we had Dimmy come out and I showed him a few things. He's like, didn't you tell that dog to stop? I said, yeah, but then that sheep went to get away and then the dog had to cover and bring it back. He's like, yeah, but you didn't tell it to. Yeah. Said, yeah, that's the natural of what we want them to do. Yes, they're, you know, obedient, but there's there's a really fine line of obedience and then the natural and not having them robotic. Yeah, so he struggled a little bit at first. He was like, that dog moved and, you know, you didn't ask it to. But, yeah, no, he's doing it and he's been doing a little bit more with us and, yeah, they struggle to see that, like the yep. let them, you know, do their thing as well. And Mike how in doing that, Nikki's probably got more control. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and how have those techniques from those handlers changed from when you were doing obedience before? Oh, geez. Um, right, I might help you out a bit here. Yeah. Your yeah. obedience was anything more like, come on, you spend a lot of yank and crank. Mm -hmm. See, mine's always been a little bit a lot now. Like, so I, like, I never really had working dogs as a kid, right? So I always had, like, pets and things and um, I used to help friends, you know, train dogs with obedience. And I used to use, you know, like, different levels of reward and, you know, food and treats or balls and tugs or whatever. And then I came out into you know, the rural world where it was very, very different and, you know, training could be very harsh on dogs and a lot of pressure on dogs and just, you know, a lot of people would say to me, oh, what do you want, you know, a bag of treats for? What are you going to do, take that on the buggy and, you know, give that to them? Well, no, it's like it's it's a level of reward, you know. Like they're not going to want treats when they're sheep. Your sheep is, yeah. your, you know, your optimal reward. You're just teaching a skill. 
So, yeah, like trying to bring that side into the working dog because I never really had that sort of harsh, you know, really pressurised training. I've always done like build up with levels of reward and release and then whereas you were sort of a bit old school to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that, um, getting that like, you know yourself, Dan, it's all about that drive and understanding the drive of the dog is what they've taught us and, and being coming from already being conditioned in that old school mentality, I think just challenging it and allowing yourself to, to um, Nikki's got a young dog there, she's done all this application with and, and the dog knows no fear. It's, it hasn't been squashed, it hasn't been bashed or anything like that. It's been through this process and, and it's um, pretty cool to see the difference in that dog. Whereas uh, to get going quick, um, we spent probably 10% of what we purchased the business for on dogs. It was quite a substantial figure that we had to flesh out to get those right type of dogs I spoke about, like the softer types and the full-on types and um, and just so we had a team of dogs to get through a summer and then we never had a summer until this year. We mm. sort of had three summers and this one's been the actual real one that we needed a volume of dogs. But, um, yeah, but just being able to get all that and then now we're starting to bring our own pups through and actually train a few more pups and had the time to do that before it's just been crash and grab let's go um mm. trying to have five or six dogs that you could send out with staff like you'd have the dip going and the jetting going and you have a couple of guys that might have one or two dogs but they need a team of six or eight to get the job done so you're just sending them out and by the time you get that dog back in a couple of weeks or a month's time you spend another week trying to rein that dog back in yeah like, probably the biggest thing we've learned like with um you know, these guys that are not from, I suppose, our working dog world, we've learnt rather than, like, I watch a lot of people and, like, coming in with pretty much like a blank, you know, slate and you don't sort of have that perspective of the old and conditioned ways of training. Like, just watching a lot a lot of people do, like, they sort of crush a dog and get that control and get that handle and that dog's like fearful of them so they'll do whatever they want and then they start to bring the dog back up and put them on stock but they're sort of like they're working out of fear right so whereas these training applications like they don't do any corrections on pups as you would know for a long time like and the corrections are very very different to what you know you might use like on a working dog but I've been using yeah and like these <laughs> it's like my dog you know they're, they're trained and taught to love you and to go through you and they will do anything they can to get those sheep and it's my dogs have no fear of like my hand or you know anything they've never ever done that and it's incredible because then rather than crushing the dog to get the control you're just bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up and then you just get 120 percent like yeah. and they understand if you got that communication like you would know with your training that you do once you've got that communication it's it's um, makes the job a lot more enjoyable. Speaking of how you guys are working in a in the heat, things get frustrating at times. How do you keep that positive all that that time, especially for those young dogs, especially that dog there that you've um, you've brought up like that? That's a challenge in itself, right? Just keeping control of yourself and your frustration. Yeah, mate. Just um, like I said, we've been fortunate enough that when we bought the business, this is the first summer we've had to deal with with heat, so. I think it's more the innovation that we've been um, doing. Like we started last year, we spent a bit of money on um, actually getting a, a lead up 
that had a bit of versatility to it. So we had a dual race, any backing options. Um, we only used the heart, top half of that dual race. Uh, yep. but, but we also got a chest bar gate so we can actually have a pocket. So if sheep are tough, we can tuck a sheep away up the top and they'll draw on. Tough of the sheep bar, the more we put of dual race and they seem to look and, and run up there. So okay. we're not trying to take the dog out, but we're trying to make it easier for our dogs. So we don't expect our dog to run like up a treadmill and, and pack those sheep right to the top. We, we actually are allowing our dog just to do their work. And then because we've got enough dogs, we can cycle through the dogs every 20 minutes. If it's cool in the morning, I might have a dog do a two-hour stint. Uh, that same dog might come out in the afternoon and only do 20 minutes. So just really managing the dogs to the day. Um, and then also if we have to knock off, like we've, we've actually for the first time in the three years we've just about been doing it for, we've actually been knocking off from 2 to 4 o'clock and just having a break. Yeah, well. Um, there's no point, no point pushing it, right? Like we, we, we're fortunate enough the design we've got now. We can quite comfortably do six to eight thousand sheep on an average day. Um, we staff with limited knowledge on um, on stockmanship, and then they they won't own, even own a dog. Um, but it's not worth blowing them up, the dogs or the sheep, is it? So, yeah. And actually, speaking of, there's some awesome questions here from Matt. He's asked, what do you look for in a communal dog? Uh, example for staff to use. And uh, this, does this differ much from what you like? Mm. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Just a biddable dog, mate. Like most of our dogs that are co uh, communal, they're either they're biddable, but then a couple of them are a bit ratty. You know, they're that dog that isn't polished in, in their training or anything, but yep. um, they get the job done. Like the staff can open the gate and you can... Um, that dog's going to go back and bring them up. Like one thing that George highlighted to us there and the last year that he's always done with his um, different units that he's used for, for foot pairing and the likes, he's always having the lead up exactly the same. So no matter what yards, just when we turn up there, um, it's it's erasing the yards that you're looking at and setting up our our design. So dogs are always familiar with that design. When he said that to me, a light bulb went on and, and I did it most times, but a lot of times you try and make it's human nature to try and make a shortcut, right? So yeah. I'll, say, I'll say pulling two panels off because that's going to save me a heap of time. And then you've got big turning and circling. Dogs are going, what the hell? Why are we coming around a corner? Mm. You know, so another one of our clients, he's on low-stress stock handling, and he he talked a lot about bud boxes. And, and we, we went away um, uh, went away and... Had a look at like um, Kieran Pole down here at Yeovil and the likes that use bud boxes and and that just that's another game changer. Mm -hmm. So having all that in your toolkit just makes it so much more enjoyable. And even in the heat, you can get away with actually you can educate staff on on little things like just run half half of pen of sheep and they'll actually flow like little things like that. You know, that yeah. just make the job more enjoyable. Actually, speaking of, and you've touched on 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 farms graziers there. Have you noticed a change in the way people handle stock and dogs over the last few years? Ones that have gone out and done the um, professional development, yeah. Um, generationally, there's still some that are still very much archaic in what they're doing. Um, they've either their yard designs, they're going and they're getting these um, fantastic yard designs and that probably helps with the stock flow. But um, just understanding lead and follow and... Mm. And understanding timing, that's the biggest thing. Well, that's the biggest thing. The beauty of the dip with teaching young staff is you're up the top and you can actually 
see like a like a bird's eye view of what they're doing and what they're not doing, whether they're pressure and release or if the sheep have got a big um, bubble. Like when it comes to that presence and, and they need to step off to actually let those sheep play, you can, you can see all that. And um, a lot of our farmers, I've, I've found that we've had staff that have come from the coast with no prior knowledge of um, how to handle sheep and working off the shoulder and you can get them going in a week and you can go to a farmer and, and there'll be three generations there and trying to just get them to understand that. By the end of it, you can usually get, um, get them to, to grasp it, but a lot of the times they can just, you'll find that they'll just be in the road um, because they're just not understanding that they'll either be grabbing too many sheep at once and the sheep will ball up and, and then you're, you're trying to find that lead all the time. But just educating them, we're only doing it today mm. with a couple of our clients that are also shearing clients on on just running a few less sheep, get that lead. Once the others see that flow, um, they see the dog come through the gate, it's safe for them to go back through that gate. Just all those real little things. Yep. Um, that That's something like I think these schools at Gary White and, and I know Dave Motley's another guy that we spoke to last year. We aimed to get him for our staff to do a bit of um, work with him and just in the eventually. Uh, we've spoke with Chris Stapleton this year and Dean Incher. Mm. They're the sort of guys that would just love to work with their staff just on that nice, calm, quiet technique that they do with moving their stock around the yard. Yeah. And while we're talking about quiet, calm technique, we're going to start talking about your dog shortly. But um, how does, um, or what's your opinion on bark and how does that affect um, different types of stock? Because you guys obviously seen many different kinds of stock. Oh, mate, like <laughs> massive. When, I, um, when we first got the dip, I bought a Hunaway off a mate. I was um, actually, Jamie Barclay needed a Hunaway for one of his clients. And I, I ran, I said, no, bloke, I rang him up. And he goes, well, I only want a thousand bucks. I went, done. I kept him. And he, but this erratic <laughs> thing, and, and I've still got him. I love him, big dodge, but like just bark. And he'd get to the top, and the race used to be just a, a black, blacked out race. And he'd be up there emptying out the cage. And we had some pretty good handlers like Kane Flanagan and that, when, like Nikki said, and there was a few others there with their dogs, and they'd all have a heap of dogs. They'd get these sheep packed up and dodge up their bark, and he wouldn't shut up, he didn't have an mm-hmm. off. And all the sheep would just start piling back down the ramp, and the boys <laughs> just doing their head in, going like this, blowing up at me like shut up. Like he'd be up on the ramp, just barking. He'd be just revving and like he didn't yeah. have a quiet. Didn't know how to it. shut up. Whereas this other one, we spent a bit of money a couple of years ago. I bought off that um, Jeremy Grills, the training and handling that he had on him, and he's just got an on and off. And um, he's a half Hunaway, half. Um, um kelpie and yeah this dog like he's that soft dog i bring out to, to start things up and wind things up and just get a feel for my stock and he's yep. got that on off so dodge is what i call me shit shovel when things aren't working i bring dodge out and dodge keeps things moving um but yeah triggers the dog that the farmers all say geez i like that trigger geez he's nice dodge is the one that they're all hanging onto the fence if you bought him out first like you need to earn that trust and, um, and not typically those old blue tag ewes or red tags at the moment, when they come out at about 2 o'clock is when the farmers seem to love to bring the toughest ones through for us. Mm. And uh, <laughs> that's when I'll get dodge out, you know. And that's when you can get And I have got him to a bit better point where we can shut him up. So that makes a huge difference, yeah. <laughs> but barn, we have quite a lot of Hunaways now. And it... it it just depends on the stock. There's so many variables to it. You know, sometimes your bark will just ball them and other times your bark is what moves them. 
you know so it's just really reading the day and reading the stock and then too like it comes into it like the stock might run really well in the morning then it gets hot they might run and your bark is is pointless and useless because it's too hot and they don't want to run anyway so it's just it's really just the thing that we have to do dipping and jetting is just adapt all day every day you know we have to adapt and that's why we have such a, a variety of dogs because it depends on you know the situation we're in it's getting getting the staff the young ones it's quite quite um, comical i'll get there and i'll be like mate remember what i said there this morning forget it it's two o'clock now it's not eight o'clock you've got to be adaptable now remember what we we're doing there yesterday when about this time now we've got to yeah, adapt to it. that so it's just <laughs> trying to get them to um to be flexible in in adjusting because like i mean the sheep are there they don't really want to run at that time of day do they so mm. yeah trying to trying to get that flexibility going on but then some days we might only have you know one dog in the cage and i might have a nice soft dog down the back because i don't i don't need much and i might just i like an on and off bark i like them to switch on and switch off and, and relax on the bottom and just hold enough pressure and they don't need to be terrorizing the staff i work a lot down the bottom i don't run the top of the dip um but yeah, it just depends really on the situation where you're at and if the stock are running, if they're not. But the Hunaways, they just they know how to move sheep. They're, they're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you've spoken, both spoken a little bit about your first dog, but do you want to tell us who they were and what breed? Yeah, I had a, um, I had um, Darcy and Dally. I, I named them. Back then, after <laughs> famous sportsman, so Darcy um, Daly Messenger, like he was back oh, yeah. away from the footy, yeah. And then Darcy was like Les Darcy, who was the great boxer back in the twenties and thirties. And um, yeah, he, he unfortunately got a snake bite or something on, the, and he was dead on the chain. And then poor old Daly, she ran under the front wheel of the truck. I was only quite young then myself. I think I might have only been eight or something. And, come flying out of the dam and that was the end of her but um yeah great dogs and just had a heap of natural ability you know they're those sort of dogs that they just did the work and i just had to put myself in the right spot to open the gate really like yeah um, yeah yeah what about you nikki for me um well the very first dog i had was a neapolitan mastiff so totally different start <laughs> small, that's the way pardon start small that's the way yeah, that's how I roll. Um, yeah, so I start off as a Neapolitan Mastiff, actually, and he's still alive today, but he's living with my uncle down in Wellington because um, he just obviously doesn't fit in our pack of working dogs and, you know, he's a lovable pet. But my first working dog I actually have, and her name's Amber. So I'm one of those hippies. All my dogs are named after gemstones. <laughs> yeah. um, there's quite a few. There's some really tricky names, but anyway. And Amber's um, sort of my first dog I've really delve right into training and and just oh, yeah she's going she's going really really well in what she's doing and um what's her breeding game amber she's got a mix of capri and uh, a bit of maddie sherwood's bloodlines and yeah she's a really cool dog she came from a fella that used to do um like dog tracking yep and um, her parents were used quite a lot for their nose and tracking and yeah so she's pretty yeah pretty cool yeah you're a trader. I thought you'd go after names of flowers, not gems. No. <laughs> the gemstones are really cool because um, I pick it depending on either their colour 
or their nature or their personality. I'm really picky. Like I like it. Nice I can just see Dane laughing at you in the background. I'm really sorry. He <laughs> <laughs> bought me um, the other week, well, a couple of months ago, we come home from dipping. Well, I came home early and Dane was up me to go and check the pups down because we had a litter of pups. He's like, go and check these pups, go and check these pups. I'm like, oh, they're fine, don't worry. Stuck my dogs in the orchard and let them have a run around and play and he's ringing me every five seconds, you know, go and check these pups. Anyway, I go down the orchard and have a look <clears throat> and there's a big birthday card well, like just a card pinned to this um, cage and it's got this little black pup in there. And I rang him and I was probably, yeah, fuming. I was red-faced, like whose dog is this? Why is there a dog in here? And then I read the card and it was a um, it was a forgotten anniversary and happy birthday, <laughs> forgotten present as well. Here's your first Hunaway pup. And he <laughs> named him, what did you name him? Hoss. Hoss. And I was like, Hoss, like, are you supposed to like, no. Nah. And so I ended up naming him Onyx, which is a black gemstone and it represents strength. And this little pup is a really cool, strong character, but he's like calm. So, I mean, if you're into gemstones and things like that, each dog of mine will represent a different energy and it's pretty cool how much they reflect that. So I, I, I go as deep as tiny and then the, the daughter is, uh, is a shorty. <laughs> <laughs> it's got meaning. I love it. Most of mine is named after... Disney characters. Disney characters. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I met a lady that does three sheep trolling that names all of her dogs after um, alcohol. So she'd be running out there going tequila, and yeah, she's pretty cool. Who's, That's um, cool. Oh, I've just had an absolute stroke. There's another gentleman in the three sheep, um, Paul O'Kane, and all his dogs are named after like famous people. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool as well. well yeah. I think it's really cool when you you know you do sorts of things like that. Yeah. And you're touching on um, bloodlines there. There's another, geez, Matt's on an absolute roll here. Do you want to grab that one more? He's asked, um, have you guys found some lines of dogs that you like and is there a one-size-fits-all that you would like to bring in in the future of your, like, with your work and everything? Yeah, Sammy Amos's dogs, like, we mm. seem to be getting a good result with them. Um, they still got a bit of the Barclay. And Jamie done a great job with his dogs mm. for this sort of thing. Like, they, they've got a big heart and they just give lock them away and they come back out roaring again. Um, yeah, we've got a couple of Sammy's older dogs and, um, yeah, the stuff that we've bred just recently, like one of them Tommy Lewis sold on, um, Block. We've got a couple of pups yep. on the ground from him that are showing a bit of good mm. stuff for what we do. We haven't got much for the outside, but we're not doing much of that at the moment. So we, we, we do adjust a few sheep and lease them and stuff like that. So we do need a bit of outside work, but only got two or three dogs that would do that for us and um yeah we, we we're not we're not up in the hills or anything so no the, the amos stuff seems to be working for us at the moment yeah, yeah. It, the one size fits all i don't yeah i don't think there really is no we're just like like nikki said before a couple of um, hunaways mm -hmm. and a couple of kelpies just to mix it up and depending on the sheet whether we have some today i only brought out one hunaway out of the five and the rest stayed in the cave we just didn't leave them Hmm. And you mentioned about having different styles of dogs and some softer dogs. Have you individually, like between each of you, have you got a preferred style of dog that you actually do admire more? Well, here we go. Nikki's got one. I can see. Look at the big smile. <laughs> he does. We're like total opposites. Complete. But that's why I think we work really well together. Dane is usually at the top of the dip um, and I'm down the bottom and we do have very different dogs. Um, 
and they work well together. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They they sort of complement each other. You know, I might have a little bit softer. Uh, actually, no, not sort of, but not really. But yeah, I've got a bit of both, Dan. Like I yeah. said there before to that question. I mean, yeah, I've got harder hunterways that are just off the chain like Dodge, and then I've got the Trigger that's um, that nice soft that you can you have to rev him up and bring him through his gears, you know. Then we've got um, the same with the the Amos stuff that likes to sit off at the back there, but then when you call it, it comes roaring up over the, the top and then there's a couple of little um, Coogee Trooper there. She she just loves to just sort of do the same, but she won't really back. But farmers love her because she's sitting there off the back and doesn't sort of chastise or anything like that either. So just having the different options to pull them out. Yeah, I, yeah. I when we first started, I just seemed to be picking, didn't matter what it was, Hunaway or otherwise, they just seemed to be full noise dogs. But starting <laughs> Dogs that are a bit more softer and blend and then back through, mainly because of what we've changed, right? We've changed that dip. We don't need to hold as much pressure on those stock up that ramp. We can let the stock relax. We can actually let the stock spread out and they'll still race up in there just as quick as when you had them on those big wide races. Yeah. yeah. And, and talking about like your Kelpies, obviously, you know, like a lot of lines and whatnot, but where are your Hunaways coming from? They, um, I mean, we haven't imported anything from New Zealand, but recently we just started talking to a couple of different guys over there. Barrett Parker, fortunate enough mm. that he he um, gave me a hunt away, and I just tracked down only last week actually where he come from and had a yarn to them over there. And um, yeah, love to. I, I really like that dog. He's nice and free backing. He's six year old, but um, this dog's Barrett's got a beautiful control on him, but he can you can wind him right up as well. Mm. Yeah, so um, yeah, love love on that. Um, we've got another one there. That I've got the brought the father of this pup that I give Nicky, and and he's he's really well bred. He's still very young in the mind. He's two year old and just still got so much like to sort of bring him on yet. But um, we think we can. But he's like my big. He's my big seeing eye dog. He's like it looks like a big Labrador, an overgrown Labrador, and uh, I'd love yeah. to take him down George Street one day with a pair of glasses on it. <laughs> <laughs> we found with the um, like, and we have we have more Kelpies than we do Hunaways, but we find I don't know just the nature of the Hunaways. Like all of our Hunaways are fantastic with our daughter. Like they're they're so biddable. They just want to work for you. They're in whatever you want them to do. They're in. You know, they just. And the motors and the heart in them is is awesome. It's what we love, and and then you know we have the same with our kelpies. But yeah, they're just that that next gear up sometimes, aren't they? Mm. That you just need, and and they're happy to just do it for you all day, every day. You know, even when they come home and they're sore and tired, they'll still go again if you pull them out. Yeah. Mm. And has there been an influential dog to you guys that you've learnt a lot from individually? Like once again. Yeah, old Goldie, I only just lost her. She was my old mate. She's 11-year-old. Yeah, sorry to hear about that too. She's up there on the um, mantelpiece. And, um, mate, that dog was cool. Eh? Like she, from six weeks old, she just chased flies. You know, she come with the name. She was the only goldest, Goldie, golden one out of the litter. And um, it was our local stock and station agent. And that dog, like, on the board, like, travelling around shearing and, she just go and just work for anybody. They open the gate, she put them in type dog, you know, like a bit like those other two dogs that I had when I was younger. I was just for, fortunate enough and right to the end, she down there at Yas, when she ended up going on us, we get, she was semi-retired. She just kept, she 
chill out around the house here and she'd go up the quarters and check on everyone up there. But um, that last day, yeah, it was like she knew it was going to happen, but she'd just give us give us her all. She couldn't even get over the rail, but she was still in there giving <laughs> it up. Running up there like a pup, wasn't she? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. 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 And what about you, Nikki? Um, Probably my uncle's dog. He had an old dog called Red and he was just um, just a really beautiful nature dog and I remember um, my uncle's probably got nearly 5,000 acres down there and I remember one day he opened the gate and just sent him and that was it. He didn't say any more commands. They couldn't see the sheep and the dog just brought back the sheep, just knew what it was doing and he was just a really beautiful, beautiful dog and just the way he worked, yeah, it was really nice. So he's probably good old Red. And... Oh, you go. oh, and I was going to say, Dane just mentioned, um, unfortunately, about Goldie there up on the mantelpiece. There's a question here from Mark Mangard. Is that trophy behind you for employee of the month? <laughs> yeah. No, that was actually for wool handling. <laughs> that's, that's, that's I won that one. That's, I couldn't win anything cheering, but I won it for wool handling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel like Mark and Danny Kerr, we probably should have one just to... Yeah, I might relabel that one for them, yeah. Actually, I just want to touch on that. Um, you mentioned about having people from the East Coast. So you mentioned, like, Mark, Danny, Laura here sitting next to me. Um, you guys have opened your, your home and, and your work there to heap of, um, let's call it inexperienced trialers, even though Danny's a bloody Australian utility <laughs> champion, right? Still relatively inexperienced. But, like, so that's awesome. Like, hats off you. That, that's, that's great. But what... These guys are obviously loving the experience, but what are you taking back from that as well, besides the help? Different perspective. Like Mark's been pretty cool. Um, he, he challenges me, keeps me on, on, on toes, but he, what he does for me well is um, really gets me to um, think of things differently with his plumbing background. You know, he, he comes in and, and because innovation is one of our core values, mm. so... Um, We'd love to innovate and, and try and make things either simpler or, or just so it's easier for everybody. And he's come up with some really cool, simple, cost-effective ideas that um, we've implemented a couple. A couple we've still yet to get done. But, um, yeah, Danny, we haven't been fortunate enough to get Danny yet, but he's actually got his place out here. And in time, what he's he said he'll, he'll come on board. And, yeah, Laura, well, you didn't get much of a crack yet. You only got to go landmarking. But, right. um, yeah. I've been busy ever since. It's crazy. Stuck, stuck there out. We're like, you know, you can come out here and work your dogs. And, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> but, um, no, it's been, look, and that's what we said. I think it's been a great thing. Like the trialling is a bit like when I was shearing. I used to put my body through pain and have to go play footy for a season in an area so I could meet all the different growers in that area, you know, and the trialling's been great for that because it's, it's given us um, access to people like Laura and the likes and, and just that fresh fresh perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, you have to have all the knowledge to be the one with the right answer, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you mentioned core values. What yeah. are those core values for you guys? Yeah, like uh, respect and innovation are two, accountability. There's a couple that tie in. We actually want to... Um, sort of re, we're just readdressing that at the moment that there's um the 10 things that require zero talent like being on time um communication like going through all that so we try to put that through our vehicles for all our staff as well mm. um, yep. and and we try to live by that and then 
what we're actually doing with this system we're putting together for the shears we're trying to actually build that around what our core values are so that's challenging us to sort of are our core values still current or what they were six years ago yeah, yeah. when we them six years ago we like sat down with the staff and asked them what they believe the core values are and we went back and you know showed it to clients and things like that and so we're sort of in that period where we're going to start doing it again. We have, you know, new staff that have come on board that we feel that we'd love them to be a part of, you know, the bigger picture. So and what the core value is for them within the business and what they see. And then we also, yeah, get our clients involved as well with it. I reckon Michael has some insightful stuff to tell me there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll have a phone call tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, probably all four of us. Yeah. Well, I actually have to speak to Mark tomorrow, in all honesty. Um, so I'm the, innovation the innovation is massive. We are all about thinking outside the box. How can we make it better? How can we change it? You know, like we had the dip for three months of the year out so we could innovate and redesign it and rebuild it to make it easier for staff, easier for dogs, you know, more enjoyable to work on which was a big leap to take. And, yeah, innovation is just huge in, yeah. in both of our lives as well as the business and what we do. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to get that one? Yeah. Um, back on the Hunaway topic, John Stars asked, do you find the Hunaway can chug along for longer periods um, than the Kelpies in the dipping situation because of their style of work? Um, yes and no. Like they the um depends on the dog depends on whether it's one of those dogs that's just got itself wound up and always erratic like dodge dodge has got a big engine and he'll just keep going like he's one of those ones you almost got to manage him he'll chase a bit of water whereas yeah. um yeah. loose that barrack gives he's one you can you can shut him down so he will go for longer yeah. um only that his age is starting to go against him and he's got a bit of that hip dysplasia so just managing him on that but um yeah look they, they've got big hearts that there's there's a bit of a myth that because they come from New Zealand, they can't handle the heat, but it's not at all the case. Like well, as long as you've got access to water for them, they might chase a little bit more water, I've noticed, but um, it's not a big issue. Um, yeah, I, I still find that they can really shift sheep. Like if you can put them in the right spot, Jake Nowlin was the one when he first came with me and he was showing me a few little tricks with Dodge and getting that control and sitting him on the edge of the race and, and just trying to get him to rather than just being erratic and running, if you can actually place him, place yep. that dog, they're really effective. Like, they, like, like Jake said to me back then, they will do the work of five Kelpies and, mm. and there's no no truer. Um, you may just have to rotate them a little bit more, but um, yeah, that big bark can really, if you can control them, geez, it can move some stars. And too, yeah. like something that we've been doing a little bit more of as well now is like rather than having them, which they're happy to do, is to get in that race. Our dogs absolutely love it. But rather than always having them in there, like with the Hunaways, which is something that Jake showed us, was like just getting them to stand up and they can lean their head over and just bark at the right point so you don't have to run up there. Like that's really effective. Yeah. In the work. And then they're not having to get in there and get belted up and, and whatnot. And we always have like that water side of things and going all day. We put, you know, vitrate in a big water trough next to the dip. And then there's a bucket of it up the top of the dip for the dogs that work the top. Um, we do a lot of like supplements and things for our dogs as well. And we try and give them meat, like so they can have that bit of blood once a fortnight, especially in summer. And then uh, I think it was Benny Costa that got us on the foresight. We have them on foresight. And um, and then we get, um, I've had a mental blank, the body works. Yeah, she comes yeah. and does low, like uh, massage for all of our dogs. Yeah. Guess Trent Smith, so she's yep. um, 
yeah, yeah. she's just come and done a couple of sessions and we've had Nath Cave do a couple of sessions as well with his Cairo. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the Hunterways, that for this type of work, definitely, like the right type of big Jake that was saying about that's we see in iDog, he, um, he's a massive big animal. <laughs> Don't ask him to try and back 20 metres. Like he might do five. But if you put him in the right right space for five, it doesn't sound like much, but he can, he can get stock to untangle and from when they're starting the ball up and turning on each other. Like you don't have to get him to do that 40 metres if he doesn't need to. You know, so. Absolutely. And actually, I'm glad uh, Nikki brought up that supplement stuff. That was actually my next question. I was going to ask about that. And it's great seeing it because those dogs are putting in for you guys every day, right? Uh, and it's good to see you guys put them back into your dogs. Um, yeah, we do. You know, through your massaging and manipulation and, and your supplement stuff. Mate, yeah. it's just so like um, Brady Smith that, that was from Rosanna, he um, he was working with Nathan. He told me about a dog that was, was tail turning. He mentioned it to Nathan and Nathan said, mate, it's not tail turning because it's got a, a bad habit. It's tail turning because it's trying to not put weight on that shoulder. That, that shoulder's proper out and for a few sessions. He actually was able to start working again. That was a Capri Red um, dog, like was the father. So, but it had all the everything in it. And through those few sessions, and I saw the dog, and I knew the dog. And I've actually got a pup by that dog here, and um, that's why I took a couple of mine. Like my main dog, he's a um, Amos dog, and Brett bred him, and um, took him to a couple of sessions with Nathan. He was doing the same thing. His tail turn, and he, he throws himself into his work. He gets bashed up that race every day. And through a few sessions with Nathan and Jess, like you start, we're starting to see results where he's had ligaments that were so tight they were like rubber bands in full tension on the inside of his legs. And through them doing a bit of work and a bit of rapid gel and then us continuing the massage process, they're nice and supple and loose. And, and you can see the dog just when they do it, mm. when, when they first do that crack on the neck, it was like a shotgun going off. It was scary. And you think, geez, that, imagine what that dog's going through and why he doesn't want it back. Mm. when I ask him to do it, right? Yeah. yeah. No, they, yeah, and it's, I don't know, I think, like, our dogs are, like, we wouldn't be able to dip without them, and you can't jet sheet, like, the jetting machine that we have, you wouldn't be able to do it without your dogs. So, you know, like we do invest in our staff, like, I believe, you know, your dogs will work every day. They won't argue with you, well, some might, but, you know, they turn up every day, and as soon as you open that, like, cage, they're out and they're in, and so, like, yeah, we're really big on, on the supplements that we give them. We give them meat. You know, we take them for swims, kind of like, you know, your footy players do. They do all the hydrotherapy and things like that. Um, yeah, we do but, quite a lot with them. Well, it's human nature to try and cut costs, isn't it, and cut corners. Like, you know, we were down yeah. at Benny's only there a few weeks ago and Jess rocked up and I wanted to do the whole lot. Nikki kept coming to me like, who else do you want done? I said, the whole lot. Just keep going. <laughs> <one."> <laughs> She's sitting there, you can tell her she's working out how much it's going to be adding up. So I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, we've got to get a benchmark. We've got to know which dogs now. We know there's six out of 15. Those ones are the ones that need to go and see Jess on the next round. So, you know, just trying to work out exactly what's going on with them, mate, because they've got to have a quality of life too, right? They're stuck in a cage yeah. on the road for long trips. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's they're almost your biggest employees, aren't they? Mate, like, like, yeah. They are with them, Yeah. Yeah. Biggest, oh, I was going to say not in stature, right, because we around. <laughs> he knows I'm going to take the piss out of him anyway. <laughs> Actually, you mentioned that Capri Red dog there, just out of curiosity. That wasn't a dog called Gus, was it? It was the one that you had, mate. That's the one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had a good Never start to life, that him. dog. Never yeah. should have yeah, sold well. him. He's 
Did he end up with a big man. dog? He ended up a big frame dog, yeah? Yeah, yeah, he's fine right off now. But um, yeah, it was just interesting, you know, the dog and um, yeah. Brett just working him on that feed lot, and he started doing that tail turn, and it wasn't a tight tail turn; it was quite a big arc yeah. that he's doing. And um, through the treatment, he's still doing the odd one, the, the habits there. But um, through the management of what they're doing with him, he, he seems to be getting better. Yeah, so I haven't spoken to Brett for a while about it, but it's amazing that like, someone yeah. someone could just go, "No, nah, that dog's no good," and sack him. And rather yeah. than just you know a little bit of treatment like that, and you go, oh well. Mm. Well, to be honest, how many dogs really wouldn't be like wouldn't have survived? Like if someone yeah. saw them cow turning or doing things like that, or you know not one in the back. I mean, how do you not know if they've got a twisted hip or they've you know pulled a muscle or? You our, know? our dog, I had two. I, I had a, my main dog. His hips, if you can see, were sort of like that. And they were that far in out. Well, it was it was incredible how far those hips were out, and it was a wonder the dog would even want to back. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. Actually, Nathan pulled my, my dogs up. He judged me once. I think it was over on. He pulled me up at the end of the trial, and he actually manipulated uh, one mm -hmm. of my dog's back legs after the trial because he pulled me up because oh that dog's sore. Oh, like, oh, I just thought she didn't want to go that way. And he, <laughs> done, and he yeah, he done exactly what you said. He actually pulled her up and he manipulated her, and yeah. um, she went heat better after that. No, Nathan's yep. incredible. He went through everything with us and showed us. And um, yeah, Nathan can just look at a dog and you go, Oh, can you see that? We're like, Well, yeah. we didn't, but we can see it now. And yeah, <laughs> he's been amazing. Yeah. Um, Curran Higgins asks, Do you guys think the future for your business will tend more towards the Hunaway than the Kelpie? No, yeah. I don't think so. No, like, um, I think having a bit of variety. There's definitely what we need. Like like I say, days like today, I only pulled the one Hunaway out. Oh, I've got triggered yeah. half Hunaway out as well. But um, I think it comes down to the personality of each dog, right, not so much the breed. Like there'll be some you, you could potentially go all Hunaways, yes, if you've got some that have got the same capabilities of what my um, Kelpies are doing. But the Kelpies are definitely a lot freer with the backing. Um, yeah. I've probably only got the one I got off Barrack Moose. That's, um, he's a really nice free dog, but... At six year old and all the work he's done, he's tiring. So yeah, and you guys obviously put a lot of time into training your dogs. Are you doing that on the job? Are you setting time aside? And you guys are pretty busy. Where do you find that time? Oh, look, Nikki does a lot here. I don't do so much here. Like um, the goal this year is to try and do more in the off season. In the middle of the year, we've got a set of training yards down the back. Like we're fortunate enough to, that we invested in them and. So Nikki can spend that time and staff use them as well. So we encourage our young ones to, because there's a lot of them are living on site, to go down there and work, um, work, work there. But yeah, sometimes if you've got a job and everything's cruising pretty well, and and you're getting on with the farmer and everything, and he's you, you've built that trust and that relationship, yeah, we can spend a bit more time and slow things down and, and educate staff and, and dogs. But we don't. Our young staff doesn't get pulled out on the job. It's all at home. Yeah. Mm. So I sort of, um, if I'm home, so I sort of go on the road for a few weeks with Dane. We have a van and we take our little one with us. Um, so I'll go on the road for a few weeks and then I'll have a week at, or a week or two at home. And But I believe in, I train every night and that may be, you know, bonding. It may be teaching us like off stock or on stock. It just depends, but every night. And I something that Jake Nowlin always said to me was that you have to feed your dog. So you may as well train it while you're there. Yeah. Absolutely. So 
you know, sometimes some nights I might not feed my pups in a bowl or whatever. I'll feed them out of my pocket and just be doing, you know, basic sit or bonding and because that bond is, is crucial in well, I believe, you know, when you're you're working as a partnership. And um, yeah, so my I'm pretty much training every day and different yeah. things. Um, yeah. working for their dinner. Yeah, yeah, some nights and then some nights I don't. Some nights it's you know, it might be on stock, I'll go and get the sheep in. Um yeah, it just depends on the weather. And you guys are pretty open-minded people. Dimmy's asked, when are you adding a Malamite to your team? Yeah, <laughs> never. <laughs> the Malamite, the um, protection oh, no, 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 dog. I don't know what you're missing out on. <laughs> I need a double muzzle. <laughs> <laughs> They're not that bad. Um, They're incredible so, to watch, those dogs. Oh. Like, they, he, um, Dim, like Dimmy from Optimal Canine Training, when he came out and did workshop with us, he brought his dog out. And that, I think that was the light bulb moment for me when I saw that dog. It didn't matter what its drive was. It absolutely loved him and would do anything he wanted to get to that, like, drive. And I saw that and I was like, I'm going to do that with my working dogs. I'm going to get them to love me and do whatever I want to get to those sheep to make my day more enjoyable. And it was, they're, they're pretty cool dogs. They get a high drive. <laughs> let's add let's not leave the duchies out there let's let's add the duchy to that as well so he's going one of each why not yeah, yeah. so nikki you mentioned there um you do a lot of dry training as well off stock yeah. is that how you put a sit on your pups or how do you go about that yeah so i remember the first actual working dog school i went to was gary white's and this is when i started learning from the protection dog guys as well and um i said to gary oh do you do any dry training no you know i do it on stock and i thought and gary's phenomenal go to his school if you haven't it's brilliant like the structure and what you learn and where your dog's at but say so, um i sort of ventured down the path of dry training and then when i started really delving into it and learning so many different techniques and like so the guys in new zealand i i talked to a few guys over there that helped me with training um they do all dry training. So my dogs learn a, like a recall, a stop, a sit, a lay or a drop, um, and they can learn an off, like a reverse walk, off stock, um, or off sheep. Because yep. I don't know, I just find if you're taking a pup in there to teach them a skill set with the highest drive and motivation, like then mm -hmm. You know, everyone talks about dogs shutting you out. Well, they're not like they are to a degree, but they're they're just in their highest drive. Yep, absolutely. So, I believe teaching like a drive without sheep, you can get that precision. The dog understands the skill set. Then you transfer that into different settings. So yep. that way, then then you can do it on stock. So you're not actually trying to teach the skill on the stock. You just um, teaching it how to do that skill in a different setting, if that makes yeah. sense. So you know how like a lot of people will go trialing and they're like, oh, my dog will do this at home and it won't do it here. But it's giving that dog the exposure in different settings to understand that even if your sit is on the back lawn, that same command means the same thing if it's up on a water tank or if it's up on the back of a motorbike or if it's on the back of the buggy or if it's in a yard trial setting, or if it's on a back, like a sheep's back. So, yeah. like, I think dry training is, like, I mean, you look at the guys in New Zealand and the control and the precision they have on those dogs. I mean, even if you don't need it, um, it's just that communication, that clear communication with your dog. 
So you don't have the distraction around. You yeah, you think that, that changes on dogs? Like I know exactly where you're going with this, like with our highest um, asset motivator, sometimes dogs can lose their head. Like, mm -hmm. for example, we've got a Malamite here at the moment, and once we give it our bite pillow, everything else is gone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if I can use a ball or food, I can pretty much keep things going, so I use that bite pillow at the end. But same, mm -hmm. same with our sheep, right? Some of those younger dogs, not all, but some of them, they'll see that sheep and that's it. They've just blown their head and you just can't yeah. get through to them, right? Yeah. So rather than get then, frustrated, go backwards a couple of steps. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, and that too, like while you're doing that drive training, like you're, you're bonding, you're imprinting, and this is something that Jake Nallen taught me, was that you're imprinting on that pup or that dog. You're, you're, you have, you've got this connection with the dog, right? And you've got to work together all day, every day, and you've got to understand each other. And having that dry training takes out all the distraction. That dog learns to sit. I mean, you see, watch so many dogs, they sit and then they take four steps because they, they just want to get to the sheep. Whereas like you would see on dry training, you teach that sit, it means a full stop or whatever you want it to be, and then transition it on a sheep. I mean, I know people say, oh, you know, you get it quicker on stock, but you're not getting the precision in the command that you're asking the dog mm -hmm. when you're doing it because they take those couple of extra steps because they're just so in high drive. They just want those sheep. Whereas when you've got full control and it, you may only want to recall and stop and that's all you need, you know, but like if you can do it dry training, you can have it so clear to that dog and teach it in different settings, then you're never so you, arguing. Yeah. See so what you're saying is it's, a different way to put it, you don't take the builder out to build the house without the tools. The dog's already got the tools to mm. do the job. You're just taking it elsewhere, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dimmy, Dimmy teaches, when Dimmy teaches um, about how they train like their protection dogs and things and they have different levels of reward, they talk about, they call like a picture. So, you know, like I said before, like so in their trials they might have, so they'll turn up to a trial and I don't know if you've seen much of it, Dan, but like they might have a board up holding up and they'll say, okay, go and stand behind that wall and here's 10 commands and I want your dog to do it without seeing you. And they have to go and stand behind that wall and... The judge will be randomly pointing to the different things and yeah. another judge is assessing whether the dog's actually doing it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's trying to communicate with the dog on a skill set but teaching them how to do it in different pictures and different settings and... The, um, the biggest one that jumping in that that I got from Dimmy when he was talking about this stuff was he gave us a few examples and one was he had a mate that was in their club and, mm. and he'd say stop but he'd lift his eyebrows and stop like this and yeah. Dimmy said, right, mate, put your hands over there and tell the dog to stop and he goes, stop, and the dog just started wagging its tail <laughs> and he's like, Pip. he said, it, it reacts to my eyebrows not to my whistle or, you know, it was a body language. Yeah. Thing. It was There's, a the pressure thing going there's, there's a um on youtube uh lieberg michael ellis explains that really yes. good he actually <laughs> says that just your facial expressions and dogs actually not listening to your man it's looking at your facial expressions <laughs> eyebrows mouth nose all of that yeah. and your word actually means nothing your cue obviously just yeah. means nothing so yeah. it's amazing because a dog will always take a physical over a verbal action anyway so hands are exactly. like hiding behind and learning that, like with the, the applying that back to the dip, then it's um yeah, it's it's actually um been a really interesting journey that we've been on for the last three years. With that, is like through learning that was the biggest light bulbs for us from having those guys. And yeah, that 
um, Ellis as well, Dan, like trying mm. to just learn that stuff. It's been cool. And two, something that I found was really interesting <clears throat> were from the guys from Blackheart Canine Training. So um, he sent me a video the other day of like a dog flying on a zip line into a building to go and yeah. find bombs and things, which I thought was, you know, that's in, in, incredible. They're all working dogs in their own worlds. And he, when he did some training with us, <clears throat> a funny thing that he said was like, you watch people when they start getting frustrated with a dog, right, and they're not training, but they change the pitch in their voice or their tone or whatever. And a lot of people, how do I explain it? A lot of people when they're training, they'd say, right, sit. The dog doesn't sit and then they up it, sit, and then they start getting cranky and cankier and they're actually teaching the dog that the command is the third one when you're blowing your lid down the paddock yelling sit, right? Yeah. So they're actually teaching the dog to ignore the lead up and just go straight to the blow your lid and that's the that's the pitch and that's the tone that that dog understands is sit because that's when they've actually enforced the skill, which is really yeah. interesting because I've seen that happen so many times where a dog <laughs> Keeps going and it keeps going, and when they get to that, you know, sit down, and then they sit. I'm like, well, you've actually taught them to do the command on that one, not the yeah. calm one. <laughs> and while we're talking about um, training there, um, young dogs, when do you guys start a park? Yeah, two days old. Look, that's what these guys have been teaching us is all about that um, socialization and just, you know, like just handling that dog. Like from a couple of days, yeah, yeah. Um, like that. Then just the, the thing I'm still learning, Dan, that Nikki's probably got more of a grasp on is is actually, and you'd be doing it with your training is is understanding the different ages where the big development is. Like you know, I think it's that eight nine months was is a big one where they're kicking like a teenager, and there's a big brain growth development period there. And I think it was just at fourteen months. I'm just I'm, I'm just guessing myself. I'm still going to learn these, but. Understanding that and then understanding it's okay to put that dog or pup away for a little bit. Like I think that's the big things that I've been learning is um, I can think back to numerous dogs I've blown up per se because I didn't understand those principles of where their, their big development is in the brain. Like um, Kane said a really good one. Kane Flanagan, I'm going to drop your name, Kane. He came out <laughs> dipping at a mate's place and um, a friend of ours was, you know, sending his young dog that he, he didn't, really have a good um, handle on it absolutely you know just getting really frustrated with the dog and Kane said well your dog's in like primary school when you're trying to put it in a university setting he's like you've set it up to fail and that's why it's struggling you've got to you know figure out where your dog's at if it's in primary school if it's at kindergarten or if it's in university you know you can't expect you know if you've got a five-year-old kid you wouldn't go send him into university and think yeah that'd be right yeah. like it's and it, it was a really cool way that he put it. Hey, like when you you take your dog out and have a look at the setting, you go, okay, is this appropriate? Like to make my dog have a good win and a good day. Mm. Yeah. And I yeah. Think yeah. You're right, Gaffer. I don't think I probably haven't been in it for long enough, like at that level, to really understand where I'm starting a dog. Like I think we just started that two days and work through those things and, and get a feel for what that pup can actually handle at the time. Um, like and, and then learning these different stages of development and, and where to go from there with that pup or that dog, yeah. And and for me, the biggest thing is I'm not afraid to go out and get advice from you, Dan, or even send the dog off to somebody like Grillsy up there at Armadale. He's been awesome. I had a dog that I could probably get inside that dog's head now, but 
um, a couple of years ago, he was just frustrating me, and, and I would have sold him on in a heartbeat. But now he's one of my main dogs. Big pride, like he sent him up to there, not long after a purchase trigger off um, Grillsy, and in two weeks, that dog come back a different dog, right? Like so, and then learning what he did, so we can apply it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then two days, we start at two days because you know we give the mum a chance just to bond with their pup and whatnot, and then from two days we start sensory training with the pups. It's very involved, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's quite an addiction. <laughs> I can see why it's a full time job for you. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of your pups, you mentioned there earlier that you you've just started breeding some pups and you got a litter there. What are you looking at it for in your own line, mate? Like, I think like you know you see you hear of people that'll like put a pup or a dog away to two years and then get it going all that. For for me, just I'm time poor as it is, um, like running multiple different services in in the business so um i want something that's going to start early that i can see see that it's um it's the traits that i'm looking for early like i don't want to be having six pups that are sort of 10 months old before i can work out that they've actually got what i want um yeah so i'm, I'm looking for something that that's willing to come in and shows me the interest with the sheep but also something that like nikki's saying is beautiful and wants to sort of just enjoy my company as well. Um, yeah. yeah, like that. that's easy. And for me, the beautiful is something that's just willing to, to do what I want to do. It's not off doing its own thing, even though it's got to show show that drive. Um, yeah, that, that's what I look for anyway at the moment. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And you guys have touched on trialling a little bit today um, and you've had a bit of a crack here and there. We've done one. One. We've done one. <laughs> one. I thought you'd oh, a few, Nikki. I wanted to. I go and watch a lot of trials. And it's you really do. watching you. You learn so much from watching. And I said to Dane, I want to get into trialling. And then we went and did our first bloody trial and he'd come second and I come fifth. So, but anyway. Is that the one you got one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Got yeah, yeah you're not allergic to that out, I think. Yeah, your mum beat <laughs> yeah. and what's no, the buzz are you planning to do a couple more if i know you're time poor but if you can get around to them planning on having a few more cracks yeah mate no definitely that's a, that was a goal start of this year to go to a few more mm -hmm. um if, just to we'll make it work with me main dog that i used for trialing and i wanted to plan to like um kano give to me and he's gone and torn his pad so he's out at the moment i, yeah. I wanted to go down to Triagra on the weekend but yeah he was out, so it wasn't no point going. But yeah, I love love to have a bit more of a crack at it because, like Nikki said, we, we really enjoy the community. community. Mm -hmm. um, and I come from that show shearing background. Like we've always been called show ponies and all that sort of stuff in the shearing. <laughs> and I'm sure it's the same for dog trialing. Everyone's like, oh, have a look at those guys. But it's just the like mindedness and and like Nikki said, like she's always on Snapchat to a lot of these guys and girls and just getting little bits and tips and tricks off them and stuff like that. And that's invaluable, right? Like it takes you so much. That's cool. Well, like even just meeting um, Pip Flower, um, I met her at the Cowra charity auction um, trial that was down there. And, um, you know, I send her videos and things and she critiques and goes through it with me and helps me and like just so willing to share knowledge. And I think, you know, you can go around people and you can talk dogs and they don't actually get sick of you talking about dogs. Yeah. You know, it's um it's a really nice network and we think too it's 
like it's nice for us to be able to give people the opportunity that we meet there as well to come and give their dogs a run in a different setting and you know have a bit of fun and, and work and try dipping or you know it's been really yeah really nice we're we're, um, we're those sick people that um <laughs> you know i give her dogs for a birthday and the christmas and all that that one <laughs> Well, that's not enough. We've got to get, still got to get me something for Christmas. So I got her a collie pup for trolling. <laughs> yeah, I, I got her a gift voucher to work with Pip Flower for her birthday as well. So, you know, that's a really easy thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That's cool. That's really colourful at the moment. I've got a Hunaway pup, a Kelpie pup, and a collie pup. And my collie pup will be, you know, my paddock in three sheep and my Hunaways for the dip. Like, yeah, it's really cool having such a big variety because it really stops you from just being inside a box. Yeah. Your place is going to look like mine too. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Rainbow team. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, Is there a message you'd like to get out into the livestock industry? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's all those generics. You're never too old to learn and all the rest of it, I guess, like – Look at mango, but um, <laughs> <laughs> love it, awesome. <laughs> I had to drop that one. Yeah, I'm sorry, but um, no, I don't know. I, I just think that, like I said about the shearing, it, it, we need to improve workplaces. And a lot of um, our clients that we go to are seeing some awesome yards and setups out there, but some of them that are out there, we yeah. should pack up and not even um, and not even start dipping. And, and I guess that's why, like we said, we've got the advantage of having our own eight or ten panels so at least we can try and protect our animals a bit more but i think the biggest thing just giving it a go and and talking like don't be afraid to ask questions and, and leave the ego at the door mm, um, yeah. I, mean, I know you hear it time and time again but um our young ones that are out there like there's, there's so many young ones out there I had a 14-year-old only the other day and he said, I get paid more at Hungry Jacks than I do here. I said, mate, I got you up here because you were in trouble with the law to get you out of trouble. You, I shouldn't even be paying you. That's the experience. That's yeah. the experience. Like, you know, a lot of us used to go, like Nikki says, and you you guys have done it too, I'm sure, go and donate your time just to go on a farm and learn, right? And um, yeah. I think it's that's the biggest message I encourage is if we've got two girls, they couldn't get a start on a sheep farm. They were from the dairy at Nara. They've come out here. They've been with us since September, and one of them now runs the top of the dip for me. Yeah, you know, they've still got a lot to learn. But I'll tell you what: like those two girls at twenty and twenty-two, holy hell! Mm. Like what their attitudes, right? Um, they did it for uh, next to no money compared to what other people would be putting their hand out for. But um, they're reaping the rewards already. Like. Yeah. And what we're paying and the likes and, and I think that's the big difference is that attitude and, and there's so many young ones like I said about that other young guy that they've already got the hand out before they haven't got the knowledge. So what advice would you give to anyone that wanted to pursue a career? Mate, um, when I was 11 years old I didn't touch on that probably in my story. I'd, I'd sit on the highway at 4am and wait for a lift to get to the sale yards and work for 36 bucks a day in a feed. And you'd work from bloody six in the morning to late at night, you know, delivering stock. And at 13 years of age, I was there and I was running the book for the delivery while the agents were off up running the cattle. I was down doing the sheep, you know, like, um, and I was, I was getting paid well above what I should have been getting at the time. But they recognised my skill set and recognised that what I was willing to sacrifice. So I think that's the thing. I think right, I think we've got to be willing to sacrifice if you want to want to get that career. 
and sometimes that financial like it's nothing just to gain that knowledge because that knowledge is everything mm -hmm. we're seeing we're seeing stockmen out there being paid and rewarded we're seeing stockmen that's selling dogs look at the price of dogs we're yeah. finding people being rewarded and they're, and they're probably still for the time they put into that dog they're probably still not getting enough yeah. for what that dog really does and in my opinion um mm. Yeah, you've got to gain that knowledge first, don't you? The, the, the biggest thing, we can. there's so many people out there that have got a really good handle on their dog as well, but they just lack a little bit in their timing with their stock work, with their pressure and release, um, or understanding just to continue that flow. So, so going and being willing to go and spend time on the farm with the Michael Johnson and, and not expect to get paid for it, that's invaluable knowledge, I believe. Yeah. Awesome advice. Yeah, and is there anyone you'd like to see come on to Dog Talk? I would even like to see Paul Elliott. I never mentioned him. I think I've mentioned him to you. He's quite a modest guy. He's someone I actually first started going and learning from. He's more in the three-sheep world and he was out at Yamundry there. And I used to go yep. out and annoy, annoy him every week. Um, <laughs> I had my little one and I used to go out there and he's, you know, all collies and I'd turn up with all my Kelpies. And um, he would be really interesting. He has some really cool techniques of training and he has such a love and, and passion for the dogs. Yeah, Paul Elliott. Beautiful. What about you, Dane? Mate, I mean, a couple that we're never going to, but like Greggy Prince and Toby Lindsay, I'd spend a bit of time Toby being locally here with him when I was younger as well. But obviously that's never going to happen, but it would have been cool to lock that knowledge away in, mm, in a platform of what you got here. It would have been a, a cool thing. Uh, cool. And at that time of the night, guys, was there a question that stood out and now we have a bag of enduro high-energy high food for working dogs with a real kangaroo, mate? Well, mate, there was one bike just kept coming up there, didn't he? <laughs> he just didn't go away. <laughs> he did. He asked some great questions. That would be Matt coming. So, Matt, if you want to flick us a message um, with your details, mate, uh, name, number, email address, uh, and address, uh, the bag of enduro coming your way. And... You guys, thanks for jumping on tonight. Also, a bag of enduro coming your way. No, thanks, thanks for having you. us. Um, one last question, as always. You haven't got off that easy yet. Uh, Would you <laughs> rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? I'd say one duck the size of a horse. If you're a good Why? shot, you put it straight in the head. <laughs> 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 <Dangerous. One shot>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what about you, Dane? Yeah, I thought about this one. I reckon as long as he's a slow duck, I'll go that one big duck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome, guys. Thank you very much for getting on tonight. We really appreciate your time. No, thank you Cheers, for having guys. us. No, not a problem. And please remember, uh, we learn every day, and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Good night.